0: This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.
1: Hello, and welcome to this bonus episode from For Tech's Sake. In our last episode, we spoke to Dr. Patricia Scanlon, Ireland's AI ambassador, about the kind of work that needs to be done to build better AI. And we wondered why this isn't already the done thing. In this extended cut of the interview, you can also hear Patricia's thoughts on how every startup is an AI startup now, and why computer says no, just won't cut it when it comes to explaining your AI. We also delved into Patricia's other area of expertise, kid tech, and she revealed how AI could be used to better protect kids online, but for some reason, this isn't often deployed. If you want to skip to the stuff you missed, we'll put timestamps in the show notes. We hope you enjoy hearing from Patricia as much as we did, and be sure to come back next week for an all-new episode. Thanks for coming in today, Patricia. So as we mentioned, you are the AI ambassador for Ireland, the first person to hold this position. So can you just tell us a little bit about what that role actually
2: entails? So as you said, look, as part of the strategy that somebody be appointed to an AI ambassador to kind of start, help start a national conversation on AI, right? So that's, if you can imagine back in 21, you were kind of, let's start a conversation on AI. Uh, Not really needed anymore because it's already run rampant like, but um, that was the idea. Start talk, start people talking about it. Explain what it is, what it is, and demystify it. Bring in businesses, academic, uh, kids, students, youth, um, and just start having people think about it and talk about it. Um and then, you know, kind of doing reach outs, I went to Paris with the OECD, um, you know, met UNESCO, kinda of talking about what Ireland's doing um in AI and particularly on the ethical AI side as well, and advocating for that. Um, and the reason I put myself forward for it was um, I felt it was really important to have a, a voice on ethical AI, and given my own company, the company I founded back in twenty thirteen, um, you know we're thirty seven people now in Dublin, like, but we had taken an ethical. AI approach to um, our AI, our voice AI for kids, and I felt like that story is worth telling and, and showing as an example of how you can do this and how it's achievable and it doesn't uh, stifle innovation and it doesn't do any of those um, things people often connect to, uh, you know, eye roll, ethical AI, you know, and just say, no, it's actually really good and it's easy. It's not easy, but it's achievable. Mm. And I thought that was worth it.
1: Yeah, and that's a, such an important point because, as you said, it was 2013 mm-hmm. when that was done. And, you know, the conversation around ethical AI has grown exponentially now. And, and there's all that talk about putting it in at the start, and that's nearly a problem now. Yeah. Did you envisage um, how it would explode since you took up that role? Because, I mean, the, the move past and break things approach has really taken AI by storm, I would say.
2: No, I don't think anybody did. I mean, you know, it, it, you know, hindsight's 2020 20 and all yeah. that, but no, I mean, you know, anybody in the field, even experts in the field, even the godfather of AI, you know, all these people like, you know, even the founders of open AI have admitted nobody expected it to happen. It wasn't that anybody didn't expect generative AI or the concept of foundation models or anything. They were always there and they were always, you know, being researched and developed and look, looked at, but nobody expected the pace uh, of progress to have uh, come as quick as it did. Mm. So everybody kind of imagined, honestly, probably like generative AI. By the time it's actually useful, probably 10 years, maybe more, you know, AGI probably never. But now all that, everything's been called back into question now about the the rate of progress. Um, and that is really where we're at today versus a year ago, mm. that that was unexpected. So again, if you think about even the mandate around the AI ambassador was to help start a national conversation, and, and that's so not, what's needed now now it's like you know yeah let's continue the conversation but let's try and the demystifying is still needed right to separate the reality from you know honestly a little bit of fear-mongering but honestly some of it warranted some of it not um you know that just have a a realistic conversation about what are the risks Mm. now and in the future you know
0: so it's nearly like now you're nearly having to try and frame a conversation that's happening and kind of got a bit out of control with the scaremongering and that and like yeah. fueled in part by some of the pioneers like you mentioned godfather of AI Jeffrey Hinton himself being like I mean he is making statements that are saying that AI could do you know dramatically bad things but some of them are being taken out of context and just put into headlines as well so it's the framing of the conversation as well as it Very is. problematic right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, what I've really seen and, and it's kind of, it's annoying, I think, in some ways, it's, it's a polarisation of it, right? So it, it's either you're you're a doomsday or you're, don't worry, it's grand, it's just a productivity tool, you'll barely notice it. You know, it's, you're either one or the other and, and it's a lot more nuanced mm-hmm. than that, right? I mean, the point is, I think what Geoffrey Hinton was doing, and you're right, I think it's been taken a little, a little out of context, but he is trying to be, let's say dramatic about it because like he's trying to get people to pay attention to the potential risks. Um, you know, the the elders, you know, um, uh, Mary Robinson, the elders, you know, also released something similar um, saying, you know, th- it has the potential to pose an existential threat to humanity as much as nuclear does. Mm. You know, that way and I think if you take it in that context is that Nobody knows. So they don't the people who say, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. It'll, it, it'll be only do good for humanity. And why wouldn't you want that? Um, they don't know it is or it isn't going to have a threat. Equally, the people who are saying it definitely is the end of the world and we should stop using it immediately and shut it down. They don't know either. And I think it would be much more helpful if everybody would just state we don't know. Mm. Now, you know, and it's not dissimilar to the climate crisis thing, you know, You can have fall on one side of an argument and the other. But what you need to do is look at, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Um, You know, great if climate change never happened. But if it does, shouldn't we be doing these things to at least have a cleaner planet? You know, AI may never pose an existential threat to humanity. but, But let's say it got out of hand. What can we do now to prevent that? It kind of seems to be, to me, a little more logical that w- nobody knows. So if the worst thing was to happen um, or, or not, what can we do today to help put us on the right path rather mm. than waiting until things get bad and it's very hard to fix? So I think there's the balance there should just be what can we do to help mitigate potential risks?
0: And would you be on the side of, say, Sam Altman, CEO of OpenAI's proposal of something like an IEA, IEAA? As in the the body that oversees, you know, nuclear energy and, you know, monitors those stations It's the body that's gone into Ukraine at the moment to make sure that everything is OK there and still safe. Like, is that the solution or is there a solution? Does it still need to be thought out?
2: Yeah, I think I think it, it's all the above. I think the little the interesting thing about OpenAI and everybody else, you know, they're saying, yes, regulators in the future, regulators because the really bad stuff, regulators when, you know, for AGI, but the EUAI Act, oh, but don't, not that regulation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't have it, but wait, because at what point are we going to have the equivalent of the atomic energy kind of international regulation? You know, you, you put in the garbage. So for me, I'm there going, I look at the, the EUAI Act, um, the new language of the EUAI AI Act, which is a lot of, very controversial, because before it was all about regulating the end use is that high risk so if it's in health if it's in mm. employment and finance whatever that, that was going to be regulated um and now the language has changed a little bit to encapsulate the people who build foundation models which will be OpenAI and google so the foundation models behind gpt um sorry chat are the gpt models um, and they can be fine-tuned and people can bring that to market but they're trying to say the UAI Act now is bringing in language to say that the people who are building the foundation models bear some responsibility about mm. the uses of it and how it's used and 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 they have to, and that's where there's a hell of a lot of pushback because mm. everybody all the companies who've been developing these foundation models don't want to do that right. Um. So a little bit, I'm of the mind. I think you try and rein this a little bit in at the moment so that you can help mitigate stuff in the future, it definitely doesn't mean you stifle innovation. Um, I, You know, it, the work and the thousands of people, tens of thousands of people working on these, are it's perfectly within their capabilities to do some kind of uh, rein in you know, checking for safety, making sure the people are using it, aren't using it for bad uses. There's a limit to to what you can do. Bad actors will be bad actors, but there's a hell of a lot you can do when you control the foundation models. And there's not that many companies that do control them. So it's just about their willingness to be regulated now and not in 10 years time.
1: And this feels like, you know, it, it may be a silly question, but right, why? Like, why not? I mean, yeah. like they're doing it anyway. Like is it because it is it it's stifling innovation in their eyes? Like is it just they want to move faster? Is that the case? Like yeah. as you said, they're it's not outside their capabilities. They have the uh, the intelligence, they have the people. They're clearly able to build some absolutely fantastic, powerful tools. Yeah. And this conversation maybe the ethical AI less so in the likes of 2013 and older, and that was really impressive for putting it in at the start. But these conversations have definitely been happening quite massively for the past couple of years. And
2: still it wasn't put in to me. To my mind was it's the approach that was taken. right? Mm. I mean, it was brilliant. right? It was like, you know, it's a digital vacuum cleaner. Right. So what you do is you hoover up the Internet you know, and then you apply transformer model um, uh, algorithms, which are actually apparently only a couple of, you know, a couple of hundred lines of code, like, you know, and and then they had this great method of, um, you know, feedback to the system about what was working and what wasn't. And there's a huge amount of innovation in that. Um, but if you think about digital vacuum cleaner on images or, or text, build the models and they're massive. Um, and then you have all this great outcomes on whatever. It's quite simple, actually, in some ways in in what was done. Now, if you want to start balancing the input or trying to mitigate for bias, there's work in that and a lot of the work is possibly around the uh, moderation or filtering of the data that goes in there. You don't have it all from one uh, cohort or, you know, l- a lot of legacy data in there that may have been biased in the past. And now you're just going to propagate it into the future to, to potentially disenfranchise people in the future. It depends how these uh, models are used. Um, it is work. Mm-hmm. It's not impossible. It there's a lot of AI that can be used in order to help do the filtering, but it does take effort and, you know, nobody everybody's just so excited and thrilled. And it is really exciting what's going on and the potential is amazing. And it's just kind of case of, is that a good enough reason mm. to 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 not worry about the risks, um, you
0: know? Like it's definitely expensive, and it does take a lot of computing power to build a large language model like uh, the GPTs and stuff like that. But like a lot of the science for a long time has been pointing to the better and cleaner and uh, more curated your data, the better the results of your AI will be. It doesn't even have to be a the, as massive a data set then. So. What is the hesitation with doing the work on the data? Like, I know it would be very, very hard work and it would obviously be high cost because it would take a lot of human effort, I'd imagine,
2: as well, on top of the AI that could do it. Like, is it laziness? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's obviously it's going to slow things down a little bit for them or they're just going to have to spend money where they didn't want to spend it, Mm. Um, you know it's questionable about how this is going to play out in another year, whether the the LLMs or the baby LLMs are going, you know, you know, there is a lot to be said about the uh, fine tuning. So you take a foundation model and you fine tune it with data. You can actually possibly and uh, you know, I don't have any examples of this right now, but it is possible to fine tune the bias out of it for a particular use case. So then what you're doing, you're taking something that's very broad, like a foundation model, which is general purpose and fine tuning it to a particular use case using expert data and expert uh, uh, knowledge. That is possibly the future of it or what some people are doing is taking the open source models and fine tuning them or people doing it like what we do at Soapbox is just building it from the ground up the whole way through and getting that, you know, we like ours is very well tuned to kids voices and kids language and behaviours. Um, that is all possible. It's just if you think about these guys, they're just building it for everybody because that's their business case. That's their business model is to build for everybody. And everybody's going to pay them subscription fees and everybody's going to license from them. So doing it generally is their business model. And that's how they make money off it. So, you know, follow the money. Like where else will they make their money? Mm. They're not, they've no plan to go into each particular um, vertical. Um, You know, unless they change it into the future. Um, Right now it kind of suits them the way that it's been built the way it's been designed and the way their business model has been designed to do it this way um, unless they're forced to do it a different way
0: Yeah I suppose it's nearly like you know at the outset they kind of didn't know what they were going to use these systems for so it was kind of like Build it first and see what it can do yeah. later. <laughs> okay. Well, it
2: was R&D. And if you think about even what Google were doing, like Google had very similar, but it was still an R&D until OpenAI released theirs. So Google, as you can see from Bard it was very similar what they were doing. And actually the the transformer model technology is actually a Google invention that they published mm. about eight years ago. Um, so, you know, it wasn't even... So both of them, but Google, I believe, didn't have any plans to release it because they considered it still R&D. Uh, whereas open AI were effectively a startup um, and didn't have that, you know, reputation to lose if, if it went wrong.
1: Which it's essentially set the match to the
2: entire AI race and everybody just yes. wants to get there first. Yeah, yeah, because there's a lot to be said, but it'd be really interesting. I think it's 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 a field... Let's keep watching, like in six months time, we may not be talking about open AI. We may be talking about somebody we haven't been thinking about. There's a lot of I mean, there's loads of people keeping track of these models and it's not always the GPT models that are going to be leading in different fields. Mm-hmm. You know, there are other models and there's some of them are open source. So there is, I know, is thousands and tens of thousands and billions of billions, of billions being poured into these all these generative AI um, models and, and and use cases and fine tuning and take like the field is just exploding and plugins and APIs and all this like. So, you know, every six months we're going to be talking about something mm. different, maybe even every three months. Like, I think that's what the difference is right now. We're all still obsessed with ChatGPT because we can all use it ourselves and see it and, and be blown away by it every time we use it. Whereas there's a lot of innovation going on, and I'm you know, genuinely tens of thousands of groups, uh, very well funded groups working on this globally.
0: And speaking to that use, and because as you said, Jenny, like OpenAI did light the match here by releasing ChatGPT, and it got 100 million users faster than anything until Threads. That was a very short lived record (laughs) for them, unfortunately. but like, you're an AI ambassador, essentially. So are you an ambassador for general use of this technology or are you scared of general use of technology and people kind of taking it and running with it without fully understanding what they're actually dealing with?
2: Um, I, have, oh, I took this role as AI ambassador, not as a, a pure advocate of AI, um, as a, generally an, an advocate for ethical AI. Um, and that was the reason I, I took it I had a good I had very good experience in it and and been in the space for 25 years and seen how powerful this technology will be and genuinely you know it is akin to to nuclear it has the potential for clean energy but it also has potential for 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 damage like you know and, and considerable so it it's very powerful um it needs guardrails it, but and 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 with the guardrails and safety it can be it can do amazing things. But but let it run rife, right, there's the risks and, and the dangers. So I think that's to my role. I'm not an ambassador for AI in general. Like, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll speak all day about the power of it and and things it can do because it is absolutely incredible. Um. But but I definitely have part of the reason I took this role was the mandate was for ethical AI, AI and that's Ireland's stance. And it is actually the EU AI Act stance as well. That's the stance Ireland's taken on this. Um. And we're very closely aligned with the EU on this. And to be honest, I've been really impressed with the EU AI Act and particularly when, because I remember when if you were looking at the language of the EU AI Act last year, it didn't include any of the the foundation models or the generative AI. Those terms weren't even in there. And now they, and it was kind of the timing was almost perfect. Like, you know, Mm. we weren't that far away from finalising the first pass of the language, but then. You weren't too far gone. It wasn't too far gone either where it it was in. Well, that's what's really interesting. OpenAI actually released it kind of just in time before the language was had opportunity to be finalized, uh, finalized. um, And so they have amended it. So it's probably a good thing they did, whether they intended or not, um, that we all had a chance to have this conversation. And, you know, the politicians and the policy makers and all this got to get a sense of what the people are feeling and then even to dive into it themselves and understand it before any kind of finalisation. Now, it's not to say that you can't amend these regulations down the line. Um, there's a huge amount of pushback, as you can imagine, from uh, from tech companies or, or people advocating for this. So, you know, the people who are drafting these uh, regulations are under a lot of pressure, as you can imagine. But, they, you know, the EU do good job on these things. And the the trick here is not to create regulation that does create bottlenecks. Mm. I mean, you really have to be careful about that. So it's great to create the regulation, but if you then sit back and don't fund it and don't support it and don't resource it in each country and how, you know, it's great to have regulation and the EU AI Liability Act gives a teeth. Um, you know, so there will be fines and there will be implications to not adhering to it. Um, but if you don't then resource the people who are looking at the compliance issues or, or giving people routes to be able to easily meet the compliance or understand the guardrails, um, then you're running into problems then, then that's the whole idea of stifling innovation so to me it's never about the regulations it's about the implementation and what you're doing for business and, and research in general you know?
1: and looking at the kind of broader tech sphere as well like where do you see and again nobody really knows but like where do you see the generative AI trend actually going like this like we're, I feel like we're in a bit of a bubble at the moment that's getting bigger and bigger I don't think there's a week that goes by that I don't get an email about a new AI tool that's kind of implementing ChatGPT and stuff like is, is that going to keep climbing do you think for the next while or do
2: you think it'll burst at some point? Yeah I mean it's got you know it's kind of like human create it, it's kind of like the the creativity of humans to use something that probably even the inventors of it never imagined I mm. think that's really interesting um, but also I, I you know I I think it's really important to note that generative AI is a subset of all AI. And I think a lot of the powerful stuff that's going to happen and that's really going to be to change and be good for society and benefit humans is, is around healthcare. care. Um, that's not generative AI. It's got nothing to do with it. I mean, generative AI is when people ask ChatGPT what's wrong with them and bring it into the doctors. And I think the doctors are facing a whole new, instead of people Googling, they're now ChatGPTing their symptoms and bringing it in. Um, I think that's where a lot of it, um, the real impacts. Not real, I mean, look, generative AI will have those impacts as well, but the really deep ones around personalised uh, drug delivery systems, uh, accelerating drug discovery, um, being able to, um, you know, find pathologies and diseases that humans are not able to process the information in their brain. You know, they be able to do retrospective analysis of longitudinal data. Um, You know, there's so much in healthcare, in education, personalised learning, to be able to even do what we do in the classroom, be able to aid teachers, to be able to do assessments they just wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Um, And climate change, and be able to better model Uh, outcomes, better model energy, consumption, efficiency, you know, carbon sinks, anything that you're trying to rewild whatever. there's so many things it can do that actually have nothing to do with generative AI, (laughs) you know, they can be used and leveraged in different ways. But, you know, the the AI field is generally much bigger um, than that. I think it's generative AI has captured the public imagination because we can all play with it. Even like I said, it blew me away uh, when I did as well. but I think you're right, you, yeah, your inbox isn't going to get any lighter, <laughs> basically.
1: That's what I'm really Yeah, asking. yeah, no, yeah. it's not, sorry. The yeah. emails going to stop, no, no, no,
2: no, you won't even notice AI now. It's just going to be assumed AI is included in every... I think it was something uh, Sequoia released, um, I think, a report in the last week to say that pretty much 100% of their portfolio companies are using AI, whether it's for productivity or fine-tuning or innovative features or products. 100% you know yeah. I mean there's, I think it's, a bit, um, it's it's
0: easy to say though isn't it because I mean 100% of people in this room have used AI at some point yeah. in the last 24 hours I'd say as well well, yeah. well they're <laughs> in cor-
2: apparently and I'll use that loosely you know every startup is an AI startup right yeah. you know, so now unfortunately it's on the investor side to actually dig in to say are you just yeah. employing Uh, yeah chat gpt to do you know more email efficiency or your chatbot or something for your uh, your clients or did you actually build something innovative yourself using unique data unique expertise Mm. unique knowledge Mm. unique you know have you found a niche in the market and what's your moat?
1: yeah it's a new version of like everything is a tech startup and it's like oh do you just have an app
2: yes yeah remember (laughs) the apps it was an app and all of a sudden if you said an app suddenly nobody would invest in anymore because so I think the challenge for investors is to be digging in, saying, OK, you are have some kind of company that's an AI company. What's your moat? Yeah. You know, what is to prevent somebody else doing this in a month, in six months, in a year? You know, what do you have that's unique? What do you bring to the table that's unique in this?
1: Because it's not the word AI anymore.
2: <laughs> no, not really. And and that's become so there is this idea of is is it narrow AI? where that's the very unique where you're using expertise and knowledge and all this to do something beyond the capabilities of humans, because people always say AI is when you replicate a task normally performed by humans, but actually it's kind of a weak uh, you know, term, really, because it's more so that you're doing something. A lot of the time, the power is when you're doing something that humans are capable of. Um, or you're doing something at scale that scale that's so much That'll more cost effective. Long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's where the power of it is. And then generative AI is a different aspect of it. So the key to it is what you'll see is either somebody doing narrow AI, which is using data expertise and knowledge, or they're fine tuning using data expertise and knowledge on the foundation models. It's not quite narrow AI, but it's, it's, it's getting back into that space again. And that's where you'll see moats. And that's where... Um, investors need to dig in and really understand uh, what's the difference because it's very easy. And somebody who's very good at sales is going to be, or has that salesy language, is going to be able to, like, you know, mask with all the school terminology and, and digging into it to find out where the real value of what somebody's producing is. Uh, where is it?
0: Yeah. And, and I like that description of what AI really entails there is puts a lot of clarity on the situation because I do think we do miss the point sometimes labelling it something as broad as artificial intelligence. Yeah, it's a terrible term, isn't it? It's a real misnomer. Yes, yes. I think people just take assumptions from that name, even though that name's been around a really long time
2: and it's not technically accurate. And and it's true, though, because if you think about it, what you're saying is, you know, artificial intelligence, but actually humans Use sight, hearing, um, you know, memory, perception, touch, mo- exactly right, to make every decision, every call you make. Where you know, that's AGI, right? That's the artificial general intelligence, the super intelligence, the scary one that people have mm-hmm. to talk about, right? Uh, that's when it's actually learning itself and strategizing and making decisions and and things. So, if you think about it, that's actually quite a powerful thing we do. So simply, and a toddler would do, right? Um, Whereas when we talk about narrow AI, we're doing something in a very narrow sphere, but much better than humans most of the time, right? Um, And then you've got generative AI, which is something different. And then you have, um, you know, foundation model. And then you've got AGI. And I think it's really good to separate out the terms because weirdly they all have the word general in the most you know, which is really confusing. So when you hear Geoffrey Hinton or the elders or the G7 or anybody coming out and saying, um, you know, talking about where the risks are and the existential risks, it's really good to have separated out the terms to understand what are they actually talking about? Are they talking about what we've already have in the market today? Or are they talking about something that's in the future, close in the future? We're not sure when. And then I think that that takes away a lot of the hype we were talking about Mm. or a bit of the scaremongering a little bit about it is that there is there is a potential threat, but it's not the one that's here today. We've got different concerns. The concerns we have today are around bias around data privacy, data governance, uh, around explainability, around safety, around, you know, th- there's more the The current risks are there and they're real and they're quite significant and then there's the other ones but sometimes they all get conflated.
0: Mm. I think that language also comes to bear on how it, it, you know, threatens people's jobs. If you present it as this can do your work and in a way that's like, this will replace you instead of in a way this will assist you. Yeah. Uh, that, that kind of, that's where a lot of the, the scariness comes from and the fear among people. Um. But for me, like when I see what Chat GPT can do, I am seeing ways that it can assist me, not replace me, because yeah. I just still don't think it can do it without me. Like yes. it still needs that human in the loop, which yeah. would be the term from the industry. But like I was reading an article recently and I do think that in healthcare, the application of AI is probably the most promising. Just the fact that it can go through data, you know, verified data that's on uh, a disease or something like that and really um, do the kind of work that a human being can't do alone in terms of diagnostics is amazing. But there was a case uh, covered by The Washington Post where uh, nurses in one hospital were saying that there was an a- assistive AI that was recommending tests for patients, and this is in the States. Yeah. So every test is a cost, oh, and a yeah. high cost as well, that the nurses just knew weren't necessary okay. or shouldn't be recommended but they were being overruled oh, wow. by the AI. The wow. AI was taking precedence over a nurse's, a wow. qualified nurse's opinion. And I, d- I don't know if you've come across that story, but yeah. it's just like, how, how much do you feel we're we're getting a bit lost in the whole assistive aspect of it, that it needs to work alongside a person and it shouldn't be overruling people as well?
2: Yeah, I think the healthcare companies will, will roll back on that pretty quick, they? <laughs> Once they realise the cost of doing that. I think there's a lot of learnings and mistakes that are going to be made in this, um, I'm actually even surprised that that's allowed in the hospital, actually, because the FDA have a lot to say on, um, you know, th- they actually already have, um, you know, considerable amount of work done on AI in general. And now it's this generative AI that, that that's kind of fallen out of, hasn't been covered by, by stuff already. Um, yeah, I think this is where the EU AI Act comes in. It says when it will have an impact on someone's life, someone's outcome, their progress, their, you know, prospects. This is where it needs to be really regulated and, and, you know, needs to be tested, needs to be validated, needs to be audited regularly. Um, I think what you'll end up hearing is loads more of those stories. I mean, if you think about the story back in um, Holland a couple of years ago where somebody implemented probably a very simple machine learning algorithm that um, started dif- disenfranchising certain people from their benefits or uh, turned them off because they were incorrectly... Uh, flagged for fraud and I think it was something you know it was very much a bias issue that it was certain people with certain um, you know certain flags that, that that were raised um incorrectly and they got cut like tens of thousands of people got cut off, cut off from the social benefits I think it brought it down the government or something at the time but it was just that's somebody's financial future that's something the stress or whatever that, that's what's coming in under the EUA Act you cannot do that um, so I think you know if you're going to build something that's going to write better emails for you that are just, you know, they're not actually going to affect anybody's outcome. That is low risk. That's not going to be regulated. I think really anybody bringing an AI system into a hospital, like I'm blown away that that's even allowed or that maybe, maybe that was in a trial or something Mm -hmm. like that. They got certain dispensations to do that. Um, You're going to hear lots of stories of where it goes wrong. It's going to be kind of almost like the, you know, the autonomous driving self-driving cars you know arguably per hours on the road they're safer than humans but you'll hear one accident one death and then you know everybody comes down but if you actually did the same number of hours for humans there'd be a hell of a lot more accidents um you know that kind of comparative thing that it's all it's always going to be more dramatic when the ai gets it wrong um Mm -hmm. at the moment and then it's going to be just balancing yeah is it appropriate should there be a human in the loop I think cost factor will definitely sort that out very quickly like you know yeah. that, you know <laughs> they'll be retiring that AI very quickly when it costs too much I do wonder as well though um, and obviously the high risk stuff we absolutely have to talk
0: about um, uh, it, it's great that that is being considered um, at a high level such as in the EU AI Act but are we neglecting to consider that low level stuff as well because you were just talking about Jenny earlier your inbox being overrun mm. by legitimate emails from people pitching their various AI businesses but imagine when they don't even have to write those emails like oh, yeah. it, <laughs> gener- like automated email is already oh, yeah you can tell nightmare. That, right? yeah,
2: yeah and i'm
0: just like i'm already sweating over the future yeah. of like
2: you start, start ignoring that everything no
0: one even had to even write to yeah. send to you on automation yeah and then but you'll right.
2: have an ai uh, filtering out the ai generated emails yeah. the, the interesting thing about all technology and it's not just ai you know as there's an advancement on one side of technology the counter technology mm. there is there too. AI can counter a lot of the stuff that we're concerned about. If it's built, the problem is it has to be, and it always comes back to the money, where's the business model for doing it? And I do think the onus will be on governments and e- EU or whoever to start funding the counter technologies mm. more because they may not be as lucrative as the technologies in the first place. right? Yeah, but
1: they do pop up because right. even the plagiarism was, yeah. is, it was a major concern. I mean, we talked a lot about um AI, chat GPT, education, copying essays, things like that, getting... ChatGPT your homework and as quickly as oh it can't be detected by a plagiarism tool the traditional ones at least yeah up popped several exactly uh, AI yeah. detecting plagiarism tools yeah. that were kind of in the works
2: exactly and, and you know and look, part of the, the the new regulation will be around um, companies having to say wh- or anybody having to say whether something's been generated by AI or not and so it's it's a transparency thing now how that will work. But at the moment, it is very possible to tell if an image has been, you know, a computer can tell, an AI system could tell really easily if, a, if a, an image is AI generated. The text, it's doing pretty well at. But then I read something recently that it was actually flagging uh, people who were English as a second language as being AI I generated. Saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So again, okay, look, that AI wasn't built very well. They they obviously didn't include the data from yeah. people with they English as a use second language. They diverse lady. data. It In was their obvious. To me, well, straight away.
0: I saw that no. headline and I was like they obviously didn't model yes. their uh, accent on exactly, people who Exactly. Cuz there will be different errors. I mean,
2: sandwich. which is kind of crazy because the one thing you notice about ChatGPT is that it's very eloquent. You know, whereas if you're looking at uh, at errors of a someone who English isn't your first language they're going to be different right? and they're they're probably going to be quite predictable as well to a certain extent again included in the model model that out and you can actually do a better job so i think it's just investing in the counter technologies mm. in all aspects like you know i mean for look for, we, we talked briefly earlier eh, before this about cyber security and stuff like that you know counter technologies for for these have to be invested and they are i'm sure and i am no doubt they are globally but just to make sure a pace with what, what both sides are doing to be able to catch up and obviously one will be trailing the other but it, it'll be a long time before a, a video could be created that uh, an AI system couldn't tell you if it was, if it was um, gen- AI generated
1: And, you know, this brings up a lot of, um, you know, diverse data and bias is one of the major ethical concerns um, that's discussed. Uh, Do you think there's any other ethical concerns around AI technologies that maybe aren't getting talked about enough or need a little
2: bit more of a spotlight? Uh, One of the things that's quite a challenge is explainability. Mm. Um, You know, it's not that easy to do and and possibly a lot of the pushback on uh, the transformer models is the lack of explainability. About mm-hmm. how they arrived at, uh, at something, so when they're being used, and there were there are ways around that. Like you know, it depends on what the AI is spitting out and what the deci- how the decisions been made. Um, the computer says no, it's not really going to fly. You know, in a you got turned down for a loan, like you know, I mean yeah. something like that. Like so, you know, um, one of the concerns I see in this is that ChatGPT and the and Bard and those ones are so easy to use. You could imagine somebody, um in a HR office in a non-tech company and nobody's really talking about AI using ChatGPT to I know summarise email uh, your CVs God, I've got 40 CVs to get through I'll throw them into ChatGPT and they'll all be summarised nicely and I'll get it to recommend who to hire for this job description it will do that probably and I I think some of the onus is for them to start putting guardrails and not allow that type of thing to happen but for one you've uploaded personally identifiable information right up there um, two you know, ChatGPT and some of these have already been shown to be quite biased in gender, like you know, recommending. I think it was something like recommending careers for a man versus a woman. You know, a woman will be recommended fashion design, and a man will be recommended an engineer, and that's been shown repeatedly to things like that to happen. So obviously, recommending for jobs and stuff like that may, but that person may not even know they were using AI. It's almost like so easy. You can just log on. Here's ChatGPT. Somebody told me this was useful. Somebody told me it was a productivity tool. Does that person know they just used AI to filter CVs and come up with a recommendation? Because they just see it as productivity. Um, and they make that way. Re- so that would actually be in violation of the EU Act. So who's liable? Mm. And the EUAI Liability Act could give that person cause to come back because you know there have been cases where people in the US actually were allowed challenge decisions and that could be in law enforcement or employment um, that were made but if the person who implemented the decision in, via ChatGPT are they liable? Is the company they work for liable? Is OpenAI liable? And you can't say nobody is liable because that person's future was negatively affected by a decision. Or, you know, so anyway, you can see where there's gaps and, and so they have to be plugged. Right. That's just that's just can't be. So I think those type of things, there's ethical concerns about the personally identifiable information, people not knowing what they're really doing. So where where does that I mean, it wouldn't be impossible for open AI to start filtering um Date of births, names, addresses, and not allowing them to be uploaded. Mm. Um, are they going to do that? I'm sure they'll do it if they're forced to do it. Um, you know, at what point is there? That's not our. That's not our fault. That's not our problem. Um, you, you know, another good example is that you upload stuff. It's going to be used in ChatGPT in GPT five. So there are ways of turning that off, and that's by using separate API points. And there's certain agreements you have to pay for that. So you can actually create. Um, you can actually use the GPT models and Chat GPT without having them included in GPT five, but people don't know that. Yeah, right. So everybody's just using what's right in front of them. That's I think it's, it's the user interface is just so easy, mm. right? And is whose fault? You know, there's nobody's, yeah. and you can't really attribute fault directly to anybody. But you know, you can imagine negative impacts.
0: Like, yeah, there are examples of like you know where people have deployed technologies and just to safeguard people being naive in their use have maybe put a warning in there or something exactly. like and they are adding things nearly daily yes to ChatGPT to kind of exactly. put those things in place but like even say you know the way if there's say a an email from your bank or something like that that's a legitimate email from your bank that will also have a warning that will say like we will never ask you for your yes. banking exactly. information over email or something like that so like maybe there, there should be a warning in chat GPT saying like do not share any personally identifiable information through this service because it would yeah. be going on to use elsewhere and I have noticed some people deploying the tools are starting to put those warnings in yeah, there which okay. is a good thing to yeah. see like I've seen one that is a tool for journalists that says um you know, make make sure that if you're using any of this in your journalism, that you've properly sourced it and vetted it yourself. Yeah, okay. like, This is just a yeah, general okay. suggestion tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Which
2: I thought was a really good way of approaching it. Yeah, exactly. This looks like personally identifiable information. Could you should you consider yeah. uploading this? Like, you know, yeah. This looks like um, intellectual property. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know but yeah. I I think there's lots of um, things that can be done, but much like, I mean, a good example, right? In uh, online is that. You know, children are using the likes of Fortnite, mm. and, you know, these uh, metaverse. They're using them, they're in there. They're virtually there, but their voice is there and they're able to voice chat. You know, adults, strangers, you know, it's, uh, you know the, anything could be said to those kids, whatever. The technology exists to be able to filter or match somebody's voice to the person who signed up, match it to an age. If they're, you know, you can do that to be able to keep kids safe and maybe away from strangers mm. and not having strangers coming up, talking to them. They don't do it, though. That tech exists and they're not doing it
0: on well, those platforms that are specifically catering
2: to kids. If you think about if you were to biometrics, it's quite simple biometrics. right? If you were to use uh, voice biometrics in your sign up process, right. Um, this is a 12 year old kid. This is a 14 year old kid. Here is their voice, right? That's matched and asking other people then saying, OK, this is an adult voice. And then I should be, as a parent, able to click on. I don't want my child to hear the voice of an adult. Yes. You know, I mean, that's not hard, right? But that just doesn't exist, right? So you hear all these really negative stories about kids' experiences in the metaverse whether it's Roblox or it's, it's meta or you know you hear about um, I think it was Horizons or something like that you know kids are wandering in on these experiences because it's user generated content so anybody can throw up an experience anybody and then any user can happen upon that experience in the metaverse you know the technology exists to do biometrics to keep kids safe but nobody's doing it um, you know it's not like they can't. It's not like technology doesn't mm. exist. They're just not being compelled to do it. So they don't do it. And then you hear all these stories by kids having really bad experiences. You know, there are ways to keep people safe online. But, you know, it's more like, oh, you're the parent. <laughs> and a lot of parents, again, it comes back to knowledge. Do they know what their kids are playing? Do they, I mean, a lot of people are just not techie. They're not interested or whatever, but their kids are playing online games. They're interacting with strangers. Mm. You know, where where should the responsibility fall? Should it fall back to the parent, maybe, or should it fall on the company that has the technology and the knowledge and probably a couple of hundred or thousand engineers who can probably implement it if they wanted to. You know. But if you're not being compelled to do it, you don't tend to or the
1: Comes back to that laziness aspect. A little bit of just like, oh, well, we'll just well, get there We don't there have, to. We well, don't have we don't. to. Why
2: would we? Well, we yeah, and once, you, once you're compelled to do it, so uh, COPPA and GDPR compelled people to ask for permission when they were using data. Uh, COPPA is the GDPR equivalent, but it was only ever implemented for under 13 in mm. the US. So actually over 13, there is no GDPR equivalent in the US, but it's quite strict. Mm. And it actually predated GDPR in the US. Um, so when we were starting at first, we were you know compliant with cop it in the US we had to get a verip- verifiable consent so that would be like somebody was going to interact with our technology um, an email address had to be entered the tech you know the app or the service or the website wouldn't continue to load until the parent went in and clicked uh, authorization. Mm-hmm. you know and that's still the case of yeah. how it's done it's really explicit it's verifiable um, you know that, that has been there and that, and that just once the the regulation came in. Everybody just had to build that into their system, or they couldn't actually have kids interacting with the technology. You know, y- you you'll only do it when you're compelled to do it. Actually, before that was an on- anonymization, mm. um, which you know you could argue. But then, because of biometrics and stuff like that, people were saying, okay, you can potentially match it. So that's something that's personally identifiable. Therefore, you need consent because people need to be able to delete if they want to. Yeah, right to be forgotten, all that stuff as well. Um, again, being forced build a technology it's not hard it is a pain and it's definitely a little slower and a little more expensive to do those things easier not to um but when you build them in you go okay i mean that wasn't you know it wasn't so bad it wasn't so easy for everybody exactly and and now we're compliant so again any area technology you can see that you know if you go back to security systems and software systems and you know all the compliance that people do in fintech or everything. You know, mm. in the healthcare sector, you do it because you're being compelled to do it. Nobody's going to do it voluntarily. Yeah. Um, but it's it's done for the right reasons and it's done because it's safer. Yeah. Um. And then you know, we're okay. We move on. <laughs> we get used yeah. to it and we move on. That thinking is coming to come into AI. Yeah.
1: You know. Well, we could talk about AI forever if we Mm. wanted to there's so many different aspects but thank you so much Patricia for shedding a bit more light on the whole aspects of AI generative AI and everything and thanks for coming in yeah thanks For Tech's Sake is a co-production from Silicon Republic and the Headstuff Podcast Network hosted by Elaine Burke and Jenny Darmody thank you to Julie Hassett and Dan Wilcox for production Matt Mahan and Dali for our graphics Claudia Grandes for her social media support and all at the Headstuff team you can follow us at for tech sig pod on your platform of choice or let us know what you think via fortechsigpod at gmail.com. As a Headstuff Plus community member, you get access to bonus content from across the network. So do check out some of our sister shows and give them your support. And tune in next week for an all new episode.
0: This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the podcast studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at
1: headstuffpodcasts.com.